This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Friday to you and yours and Mac Jones has left ankle Patriots Packers coming at you on Sunday. The whole week has not been about greatest coach of all time against Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks. It's been about the quarterback who will not play because while we record this here on Thursday and Mac Jones has not practiced now for two straight days and he's still preparing to play according to our good friend of the pod, Mike Jordy from the NFL network, I will somehow eat this segment as I threatened to do on TV the other night and eat my earpiece if Mac plays on Sunday, simply because in the history of high ankle sprains, it just doesn't happen in the matter of five to six days. Okay. This is a football game. This is not standing. It's walking. It's playing in the most physical violent sport in America, uh, team sports at least. So as far as that goes, we don't have a whole lot to say about Mac Jones with Ted Johnson is coming up. This is Ted's, I think, third time on the podcast. You can hear on 98.5 Sports Hub. He's on uh, Monday nights with Bill Perry on NBC Sports Boston doing the breakdown. Ted's fantastic. And he was super helpful this week in terms of getting to know the X's and O's of how Belichick might defend Rodgers, which would normally be the big storyline this week. And I explain why I think it's going to look very, very similar to game plans that we saw for Tom Brady last year and Patrick Mahomes the year before that. So we get into that and much more. Also how the Patriots are going to play offense, presumably without Mac Jones, even though it's not official just yet, because of course we are taking things day by day. Um, after this, please drop by, give us a five-star review. We haven't asked in a while. It could be Spotify. It could be Apple. It could be anywhere you get your podcast, a quick review. It helps us grow and expand as we kind of take this on the road. We've done shows from Fort Lauderdale, uh, by the pool. We've been in Vegas with Jim McBride having beers. Okay. We're going to take this and keep building it out. Hopefully, hopefully, to a local brewery near you. So more reviews, more ratings helps us get on the road and perhaps we'll do a live mailbag here, um, though we'll see how that goes down the road. Until then, Ted Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion, Patriots analyst, 95 The Sports Company, NBC Sports Boston, right now. Okay, you know him as Ted Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion member of the 98.5 The Sports Hub team on the breakdown with Phil Perry midweek after Patriots game, bringing you some film. I know him as the biggest Avatar fan in my life. Avatar <laughs> re-released into theaters, into our hearts, into our lives last week. Ted, we talked about this last time you were on. Um, I Over under one and a half times you've seen Avatar yet now that it's back in theaters. Oh yeah, it's it's under. I, I've uh, I, but I I need to go see it in the theater. I have uh, I promised people that I would go see it and I am going to go see it. So that is uh, that is on the docket for this weekend um, that I will go see Avatar. So I, I, it's unbelievable how many people are, are just in shock that I, I love that movie. It is the highest grossing movie of our time. And, uh, and people are shocked that I love that movie. So, um, yeah, I'll get out there, Andrew, uh, this weekend. And uh, next time I'm on your podcast, I'll have to report back to you what I think. Excellent. So, yeah. And, you know, we ended on a good note because I wasn't sure when I said this, if I would offend you or not. But I said it's basically Pocahontas in space. And I think that helps resonate <laughs> the younger folks who saw Pocahontas as a Disney film when I was growing up. 
uh, Avatar on its own, a good film. So you've got like a little bit of nostalgia, but also, you know, a new spin on it. And of course, I think this is all a preamble to Avatar 2 must be coming around the way. This wasn't like James Cameron just gets to re-release this every 10 years, right? Avatar 2. I know. I think it's it's uh, Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 are like uh, coming. No, no, no. There's like, there's a whole, they got, they got a whole kind of uh, series of movies coming out here. So it's um, Avatar. I think the, uh, the Avatar 2 is going to be released around Christmas time. And so uh, buckle up. And then I think they were releasing one every year after that. Andrew so it is going to be Avatar all the time and hey I like the comparison Pocahontas to space but it's you know I give it a little bit more credit the, the cinematography is like next level it's it's uh and, and what people always uh, bust my balls for for uh, liking just the kind of I think the special effects but um what James Cameron does in, in his Avatar movies is uh the, the filming and the quality of the filming it's uh oh what's it called it's a um it's it's technology that only James Cameron can use, and so I think it's uh, pretty far out stuff. So yeah, hey, I like it. Get Avatar. That's okay. We can still be friends, but uh, I usually relate better to the people that totally get the essence of what Avatar is all about. I love it. Two, three, four, and five. That is that's like a Marvel approach here in space. Like, are they going to have to intersect at some point with a, a Disney Star Wars or a Marvel? Like, I, I just I'm going to need more time to digest that. Yeah, eventually those two entities will find each other and uh, it, it, it'll be uh, one big battle up in space, I'm sure. Excellent. All right, moving on to football. Um, this is not the biggest battle of week four Patriots. Packers, Patriots, depending on where you look, nine and a half point underdogs, 10 point underdogs. You certainly didn't know what that felt like in the latter part of your career. The Patriots only double digit underdogs once before in the Belichick era at Kansas City week four, 2020. Which, coincidentally, the last time Brian Hoyer started. Now, for context, because we remember that game as Brian Hoyer pooping himself in the red zone twice, running out the clock at the end of the first half, getting a strip sack in the third quarter, and then getting benched. He didn't know he was starting until that Saturday. You know this. You don't know as a starter, as a quarterback, if you're going to start that late, you're not taking those reps in practice. You're running the scout team. So, you know, let's start when Brian Hoyer has a ball in his hands. They obviously need to play keep away to some degree and run on Green Bay. How else do you win with a Brian Hoyer, with a game manager, or maybe something you had to do in your career once upon a time? Yeah, you know, I think it's – it's. I mean, look, I've watched Brian Hoyer for a long time. He's been in the league 14 years. I was in Houston in 2015 when he was a quarterback for the Houston Texans, and the Texans won the division. They won the AFC South 9-7, went to uh, went to the playoffs, but uh, got spanked by Kansas City, and he threw uh, four interceptions in that game and a 30 to zero loss in Kansas city in the wild card game. Then in that 2015, 16 season. So look, I, I, Brian, I, Brian's one of those guys where you put him out there for a game or two. And I think he can do. Okay. It's if, if he's going to be out there for an uh, extended period of time, Andrew, that's, that's what I worry about. Um, and, you know, uh, but so look, do I think he can go out there in green Bay and, and function? you mentioned that that last Kansas city game in 2020, uh, it, it's very difficult to expect a guy to go out there and play um, at a high level when you, you're not getting any reps all during the week. And don't forget, that was also a game in which they played the same day that they flew into Kansas City. Yep. So it, it's, it's to hold him, uh, you, you know, you know, kind of hostage to that that performance, I just think is, is a little bit unfair. Look, they, they are going to have to play keep away. You know, the, the Patriots offense through the first three games, Andrew, they're fourth in the NFL in air yards, um, which is remarkable when you consider 
the offensive line troubles that they're having and the wide receivers that they have, that the, the Patriots would philosophically, it feels like, change how they, they typically do things. It's not death by a thousand paper cuts like it used to be for 20 years under Tom Brady. Now it's air it up, baby, throw it up and let's, uh, and let's go. Let's try and get the big play. I, I just don't see that being a formula for success with, with Brian Hoyer as the quarterback. And clearly, I think the, you mentioned it. I think the Patriots want to play keep away. That's always kind of a, uh, a strategy whenever you go up against a quote unquote high power offense. Although the green Bay Packers offense right now is averaging less points than the New England Patriots offense right now, which is kind of uh, hard to believe. Um, still, nonetheless, it's Aaron Rodgers. And even though he doesn't have marquee names as at his wide receiver position, you know he still can he can work his magic. And so I think I think they're going to have to go back to just dinking and dunking. And I, that's what I feel like is gonna they're going to do. And, and I think Brian Hoyer, I think he can manage, although take aside that last Kansas City game um, where he, uh, you know, he did poop himself. I just think he's a guy that can kind of methodically move down the field, um, dink and dunk, um, and, and 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 that kind of thing. So, and I think they can muck it up a little bit. I think the defense, I think the defense can uh, can do okay against uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers. And I just think that they're going to give that defense, at least for the Patriots, will give the Patriots offense a chance going into the late third quarter. And that's where usually uh, things go one way or the other, positive or negative. So. I think the Patriots can hang in there for the first three quarters, Andrew. What happens in the in the fourth quarter is all bets are off. But uh, Brian Hoyer, I think, has the ability to at least keep them in this game for uh, for the first few quarters at least. Well, and here's the good news. And let's down, run down Green Bay because obviously the Patriots only see them once every four years. They go to Lambeau once every eight years. Right now, the Packers, for the folks at home, two and one. They are 12th by Football Outsiders DVOA, which basically just takes into account who you're playing, the situation you're in down to down. It's not just strictly points or total yards. They're ninth in offense, 19th in defense. You go over to PFF, obviously they do a lot of the same contextual kind of grading. They're the 13th best team over there, better in offense than defense. And defensively, they are the worst run defense in the league by DVOA, second worst by PFF, total yards, it's way up there. And it's not just because teams are trying to run the clock out of them. I mean, they won against Chicago pretty handily in week two, close game against the Bucs last week. So it works out really well for the Patriots in the sense that even if Mac Jones was playing, this feels like a game where they want to give it to Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris in total touches. So, you know, rushes in uh, receiving yards and receptions probably 20 times each. Am I wrong? Uh, probably not. Now, when you, when you describe it that way, and it, it Look, I, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson is is right now he might be your, your best player on offense, at least uh, statistically in, in the production that he's he's uh, had. I mean, I mean last week he had uh, yeah he had less carries than uh, than Damian Harris, I believe, and had a lot more uh, yards per average. I mean, he's he's whenever he touches the ball, he seems to make things happen, and I think he's they're trying to get him to uh, a little bit uh, more involved in the in the passing game, so. I think clearly, um, if you were to look at the, the position groups uh, for the Patriots to start the season, uh, for every position on the team, you know, besides safety, I would say the second, I think, best position group that I feel most confident in is the, is the running back position. So between Jamie Harrison and Ramondre Stevenson, um, they they run really physically. I, you know, I always thought I've always thought Green Bay. Even though their defense is being lauded as, as as a great defense going into the season, it's you know a lot of people 
based on last year's production, thought that this was going to be a great defense. And to hear you say that, how bad they are against the run, it's, it's just, that's just Green Bay. I just, I've always thought they were a soft defense. So the Patriots, they, I think they're trying to form an identity on offense. And the only one so far, which is shocking, because when you consider how they looked in preseason and training camp, running the football, they look like garbage. You know, I think that's their their biggest strength, clearly, right now is running football. And I know it's not fun. And I know it's not uh, it's not maybe a brand of football that's enticing to watch. Um, but if you're just trying to win this game this week against a, a, an elite quarterback, they have to run the football and uh, and and make Aaron Rodgers watch from the sideline. And I think I think they can do that. And so I think the power running game you've seen that's been working for them, the zone run scheme that we heard so much about all through <laughs> training camp, they seem to to really not pull that out very often, and they don't need to because the power running game has been so effective for them. So they're going to shove Ramondre Stevenson and Damon Harris down their throat. It's going to be, you know, three and a half yards in a cloud of dust and hopefully keep it low, you know, third and three or less on third down. Um, And that's going to be the formula to win, I think, uh, at the end of the day, Andrew. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, even listening to Matt LaFleur yesterday, the Packers head coach, he was talking about, oh, how do you deal with the quote-unquote uncertainty about Mac Jones versus Brian Hoyer? Uh, Spoiler alert, there's not a lot of uncertainty. Brian Hoyer is almost guaranteed to start on Sunday. But Matt LaFleur's point was that even if we don't know who's going to start, he doesn't expect the Patriots to attack all that differently. That's because he knows he has, depending on your rankings, the worst or second-worst run defense in the league. So that's going to be a big part, a really important battleground for Sunday, but of course you need to support your backup quarterback with something else, right? Like you're going to run into a third and six, you're going to have a holding penalty, get backed up to second and 15, second and 20. So in those instances, I look at the way they'll attack the Packers defense is really in that linebacking court. Cause you've got a young group starting with Quay Walker. who's was a first round pick for them out of Georgia linebacker. A lot of folks wanted the Patriots to take. And my understanding about the Patriots thoughts on Quay Walker he fit from a physical standpoint, no doubt about it. I mean, he's close to kind of what you're, or you're still weighing in as head, but back in the day, like a throwback kind of linebacker. It was the instincts with Quay. And so he's up there with 18 tackles here so far. But when you look at the deeper numbers, they're missing a lot of tackles at that second level for Green Bay. So if you are, you know, maybe drawing on your own experience back in the day, what were ways that offenses tried to trap you or get some of your teammates in space as a way to force you to make tackles where – it leads to yards after catch, which isn't asking Brian Hoyer, like you mentioned, to air it out like Mac Jones has been top five in air yards, bombing all over the place. But the type of plays or the concepts that would get those linebackers to slip a tackle and give you an extra yeah. 10, 15 yards. You know, I think what a, a concept that I, I saw uh, against uh, the Steelers, it's a, it's a, the Patriots did, a, I thought it, it was a simple game plan. And I, I can't believe the Steelers uh, didn't adjust a, a little bit uh, better than what they did was that they did uh, and in their offense they had a what they call a high low concept and so they the patriots ran a lot of uh you know they had a lot of routes combinations where uh, there was receivers going deep or going down the field and then you'd have uh, a late kind of uh drag route kind of coming across the formation so there's always an outlet a short kind of uh outlet for the quarterback mac jones to kind of dump the ball off to and that those. So my guess is you're going to see the Patriots, if they really want to target a, a linebacker and really challenge their tackling in space, you do clear out routes with shallow crossers or, you know, or you have a receiver or a tight end on the end of the line who hits, uh, you know, who hits and then slow releases 
kind of a just a late kind of dribbles out there, and then it's an outlet for the quarterback. And so then all of a sudden they're catching the ball three, four yards past the line of scrimmage. And now it's the linebackers at a 10-yard drop, and now he's got to come up and make the tackle. And that's where your yards after contact can come and where you can challenge those linebackers. So a lot of clear out with drag routes and, 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 and dump offs underneath to make those linebackers that uh, have been have issues with tackling, make them come up and, and tackle. Uh, and then also, in, in whenever you're anticipating man-to-man mm-hmm. uh, situations, Andrew, um, especially with Aaron Jones, especially with A.J. Dillon, I don't know how much uh, A.J. Dillon, but, and I don't know how many, even in, in third down situations, the Patriots are going to put linebackers on, on, these, uh, on these running backs. But still, it's a tough cover, particularly on third down. A lot of times, teams like to go man-to-man, and that's where you can exploit linebackers with your running back on third down uh, versus teams that like to play man-to-man on that third down and long situation. You can isolate running backs on linebackers in that situation as well. Let me go to another position real quick as a, a small side, because people have asked me about this, and I've watched some of the tape, and his run blocking isn't all that impressive, but no one really cares about the run blocking. It's the big goose eggs we've seen him put up uh, in Pittsburgh, and then I think he had one catch in Miami and had one catch last week against the Ravens. When you, Ted, watch Hunter Henry at tight end, who supposedly is another matchup problem for defenses who want to put a linebacker on him, what's what's wrong with Hunter Henry through three games to you? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to evaluate. It's hard to evaluate a lot of the skill position players this year uh, because it's hard to evaluate the quarterback right now because it's we're all trying to figure out, um, you know, it, Mac Jones is his regression. Is it is he just not as good as we thought? Or is it because of the coaches and the scheme and just the, I think, I think uh, just the, just the newness, new system and the new coaches is that kind of mucking things up for the quarterback and is and getting him distracted. And it's really maybe kind of, uh, you know, derailing him from kind of capitalizing off the momentum that he got from last year. That's, that's the big question. Uh, I don't know, but, so, you know, is it, is it Hunter Henry's not getting open or is it Mac Jones just not seeing uh, that Hunter Henry is open? I will say this. I've never – Hunter, Hunter is, 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 a, is a good tight end, but I, I don't see him as a very athletic tight end. He's big and he's strong, um, but I just think there's some limitations to him as far as getting separation. I don't think he's the fastest guy. I just think he does everything pretty good, but nothing uh, at an elite level. And so I just – even though he had, what did he have? Nine touchdowns last year. He yep. seemed to be max go-to guy. I always thought that was a little inflated and a little bit uh, overrated. So um, it's, that's a hard, that's a hard, that's a hard one to judge. I mean, it's just amazing how the tight ends who we were told kind of this off season, we're going to be emphasized more considering the lower, at least from the John U. Smith perspective, he was not very productive last year. And he is kind of the same carryover into this year. And I, I don't know why it just felt like Mac Jones for the first three games, he zero wins the first two games. Most of the targets went to Jacoby Myers. And the third game when Jacoby Myers wasn't out there, the line share of uh, targets by far went to Devontae Parker. It just feels like Mac Jones, the first three games, he doesn't spread the ball around at all like he did last year. He just locks in on one guy, and that's kind of his guy for the whole game. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously Hunter Henry has not been that guy, but they also haven't been in the red zone so much, which was really, you know, why he had those nine touchdowns last year. Hunter Henry also played 16 games for the first time, I believe, in his entire career last season. So 
health isn't an issue so far. He's not been on a practice report. He's not been on an injury report. They're shuffling in and out of 11 personnel. This kind of like what I've called 11 and a half when little Jordan Humphrey's playing the F because he's six, three and two thirty, and then some 12, but we haven't seen a ton of 12. And I think it gets to some identity stuff, uh, which we'll get to later in the mailbag wrapping up when the Patriots have the ball. Uh, we talked about the power run game, other ways they can kind of get cheap yards, a lot of yards after catch high, low, some of the linebackers, I want to see some trick plays, Ted. I, if Jacoby Myers is going to play, I want to see him air it out. I want to see his air yards at like 26 on average. I want to see some reverses, some double reverses, fake reverses, and then a screen. Are, am I going to see any of that? What do you think? Are the chances good? It's week four. Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> you know, that's uh, – and there was always the Patriots historically have always kind of had a trick play up their sleeve, right? I mean, um, and, and, and you know what the funny thing is about trick plays? Andrew is coaches are terrified to run them. Hmm. And you know why they're terrified to run them? Because they, it's a, you know, they, they worry about, okay, if we're going to do a, uh, if we're going to have a double pass, for instance, you know, is, is you're, you're having a guy throw the ball. That's, you know, a rec- who's a receiver who doesn't necessarily throw the ball very often. You just don't want the trick play to blow up in your face and be a big, you know, kind of an embarrassing moment or pivotal point in which, you're trying to maybe uh, seize the moment and it backfires and you lose the game because you're, you're a trick play that you couldn't execute. So there's, there's a lot of coaches that are terrified to do that. I, I hear you, bud. I hear what you're saying. Um, I just feel like they can't get maybe their regular traditional system plays um, run consistently enough right now to be fooling around with trick plays. And I also think an offensive coordinator like Matt Patricia, who's in his first year of calling plays with all the scrutiny he has, if he if he does a trick play and it blows up in his face, <laughs> it just will add to the, you know, kind of the narrative that already is surrounding the this offense, which is they don't know what they're doing. And so it's a very risky thing to do a trick play when you put it in that that kind of context, if you will. Yeah, and I'm laughing because I'm imagining just as you start out on that, the radio shows that some of the TV shows that I've done where there's overlap, someone's a radio host and does this TV show and their reaction to what would be the failed trick play that will just be on loop forever and ever Monday and Tuesday. Now, because, you know, we've heard this from people who work with Matt Patricia been coached by Matt Patricia and people I've talked to, like, I don't think that um, he would lack for confidence to do something like that or feel like his, you know, that scrutiny would dissuade him. But I think he certainly does consider it more now than even when he was in Detroit and certainly before when he was here because the ground he's standing on, just like the entirety of this Patriots staff, is shaking underneath them a little bit more than it used to. And he's very careful. And you can tell the media training he's done and the effort he's making with reporters to kind of, you know, uh, bring us back closer together than it was before he left. So I think that's it's an important point as much as it's not you know, maybe pertinent to this game, but if we go a half a season for a struggling offense that you go, screw it. Like, okay. You know, wide receiver, double pass. Let's go. Maybe that's well, the reason we don't see it. And, 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 and another thing to consider again, I think a lot of times coaches, you know, you, when you see, when you, you're, you're bringing up the trick plays because the Patriots have had success running them, but he, if you're going to run them, here's, here's what you're, you're, you face what you're faced with though is, is that people are going to say, you can't even run your regular stuff. you got to do trick plays to get – and at the end of the day, who cares? It's, a, it's about winning, but it's also these are humans that are, that are coaches and that are, that are calling the plays. And so they, there's a human element that I think people will realize. It's not – you know, a lot of times it's not always about what's best for the team. It's like 
how can I not embarrass myself as a signal right. caller? So it's just something to think about. It's something to think about when you when you're thinking about that uh, that trick plays happening. Okay, the one thing the Patriots are surely thinking about more than anything else this week is how to fool Aaron Rodgers. And this might be foolhardy because as Bill was talking about Wednesday, he's seen it all. He's made all the throws and not in a derogatory sense as I've covered before. But this is a case where, you know, at some point you just have to go out and execute because there's only so much room to fool him. On the other hand, one or two plays where you have him hesitating, suddenly coming under pressure. He, like every other quarterback in the league, his numbers plummet when he is under pressure. The problem is you can't blitz him because he is at top of the league right now in PFF grade against the blitz and his passer rating is 133.5. So when you look at how you can disguise against Aaron Rodgers as someone who we've documented and talked about this podcast, you know, you had a great record against Peyton Manning. He suddenly takes off against Bill after you retire. Maybe there's a, you know, a parallel there or something going there on. Is, there is, Andrew. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when you look at how to disguise against a quarterback who's seen it all and can hurt you everywhere in the field, how do you do that without blitzing? What were some of the things you did against Peyton back in the day? Obviously, 03, 04, all those games. Yeah, you know, it was it was pretty, believe it or not, it was pretty basic against uh, against Peyton Manning. We did, we did, you're right, we very, we hardly ever blitzed Peyton. And if you're going to dial up a blitz, it's kind of just got to be one of those, boy, we sure timed that one up right. Or that was a perfect situation to do it where he, or he just he was not expecting it because the more you blitz, he he will. And you just said it, he will kill you. He he will, he will, he will slice you up. My feeling is the Patriots will probably more times than not uh drop eight guys. I, I really I think they're just gonna I love them. this. I love I it. Yep. And so, and this was our this was our strategy against Peyton Manning, and people are kind of shocked when I tell them this. I'm like, I would say if you were to look at the 04 season when we really had his number. Uh, the 03, 04 season, we won our Super Bowls and we were uh, beating Peyton Manning. We were basically dropping eight guys into coverage and only rushing three. I just think it will behoove and it will be an advantage to the Patriots not to send too many rushes, maybe four at the most. And what you got to do, Andrew, is a lot of if you're going to send four guys and drop and drop uh, and drop seven or drop, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to rush four guys and not blitz and, and drop seven. You do a lot of twists in games up front, mm -hmm. so you do a lot of you do a lot of um, two man and three man stunts that put pressure up the middle to flush him out to where you have guys waiting, and that's really what it's. So it's going to be a lot of stunts and twists and X stunts uh, to kind of try and uh, pr pressure up the middle to get him to escape to the outside, where you will have a guy looping around waiting for him. That's that's really the best way to do it. But keep your coverages, I think, simple. If you want to disguise a little bit before the snap, okay. But don't do it at uh, you know at the cost of of, of giving up a big play because someone uh, didn't do, do their job. And so I just I'm not sure the Patriots' defense right now is at a level which we were back in '04. We were playing against Payton, where we just no, we <laughs> not even just, close. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we could play each other's positions. We were just so in tune with each other. And so we could maybe do a little bit more disguising because everybody knew what everybody's job was on that defense. And I just don't think the Patriots defense is that way. So I think they're just going to line up um, and run really just a basic coverage, probably a lot of cover four um, and, and rush three guys and, and, and four guys and get those twists going to hope maybe flush him out where uh, guys will be waiting for him on the perimeter.
I'm so glad you said this because I'm writing about this later today. And when I'm going to draw on plans that Bill has not used against Aaron Rodgers. So in 18, you go back and watch that game. It was a lot of, um, you know, man coverage. And that helps when you had the future defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore, who was just shadowing Devontae Adams the whole time, Devin McCourty in this prime, JC Jackson, Jason McCourty, et cetera, et cetera. They played a lot of man coverage. They did not blitz. But two years later against Patrick Mahomes, they dropped eight on 30% of his dropbacks. And it was, we're going to play man. We're going to have two defenders in zone playing hook curl. And then one deep safety over the top, sometimes invert that and have two deep safeties with one short zone and just spin it enough and sometimes play some Tampa two in the red zone that just to keep you off kilter. But you understood you're going to have to be patient in that pocket and understand that your internal clock's going to be going and going and going. You'll have nowhere to go with the ball. And sometimes you might self-destruct and force a throw because that then, that game plan against Mahomes is essentially exactly what they did against Tom Brady last year in week four when he came in here. And I'm watching this film going, holy smokes. I mean, they, they didn't toggle any of the matchups. It was still Jalen Mills and Chris Godwin. Antonio Brown saw a lot of John Jones and then Mike Evans and JC Jackson. But that was it. It was man coverage. We're not going to blitz you. And we're going to toggle between two short zones or two deep. Yeah, I like that. Don't, but don't you think, Andrew, I, see, I just feel like this is, this is more of a, a zone team now. I think they play. I, I don't know what the exact uh, the stats are, but it just feels like there's the Patriots are playing a, a lot more zone. I just don't know if they have the receivers worthy of kind of uh, man-to-man attention. Like you, you, you'll do it every now and then. I just think, I, I just think that uh, they're going to play. I think they'll play a, a lot more zone, keep everything in front, you know, kind of like what they did, uh, you know, in the, in the first couple games is it, just, when you're going up against the Miami offense and those receivers for the Steelers, they they have deep threats. Just keep everything in front. I think that they're going to play a, a ton of, of zone stuff because I don't know if, if, if the Green Bay Packers have a real deep threat. Uh, and so well, let's, um, let's it, run down those receivers now, because I, I wouldn't blame people at all at home who are not familiar with them because some of these are brand new rookies. Romeo Dobbs, their leading receiver by total catches in yards, 14 catches, 137 yards in three games. Fourth round rookie out of Nevada. Very nice kid. Talked to him at the combine. Thought he'd be a good Patriots fit, plays in special teams. Not happening. Tight end Robert Tanyan. He has 11 catches. Nine catches for Aaron Jones, a running back. A.J. Dillon, eight catches. Also, as I said, a running back. Randall Cobb, who you played against, surely back in the day. Uh, seven catches for 108 yards. Um, and then Alan Lazard, who had a touchdown at Tampa Bay last week, has six for 58. So I, I take the opposite view. I look at that talent and go, you understand Dobbs has got speed and then Christian Watson, who's down at the bottom and has missed a game, second round pick at a North Dakota state, uh, or he might've been a late first. I'm not sure that you can man up against those guys. Even if you're just John Jones, who's really highly rated right now at PFF and Jalen Mills is dealing with a hamstring. You know, I would say this would be the week considering they surprised me last week, how much man they played against Baltimore. It was more zone against the Steelers and, and dolphins, but if they felt comfortable manning up for better, or for worse against Mark Andrews, and guys like Devin Duvernay and Rashad Bateman, I look at that roster that I just listed now and go, yeah, let's play one-on-one. Maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe they do that. You do that. And sometimes, Andrew, you do that because, you look, the other team's not expecting it. Or or you feel like you can get away with it um, against these receivers uh, because you want to put something different on tape too, right? So mm. so you, you might be absolutely right. Maybe they, they, do, uh, they do play a little bit more man- um, you know, the only thing is, is the, uh, you know, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers, I'd be curious. I don't know how many, uh, he, he probably averages, if I had to guess two or three 
rushes a game. Um, so if you're going to turn your back to Aaron Rodgers, he will run for first yep. down. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not a guy that's going to be out there running around like Lamar Jackson, but the, at the same time, he's still good for one, maybe two rushing first downs in a game, which is big. Um, and and is, is for a quarterback, if he can, you know, give your team a chance just by running the ball. So if you're going to, if you're going to play man to man, you just have to be wary of that. And that maybe you, if you're going to do that, maybe you send a little bit more pressure uh, because you want to make sure he's not back there running around uh, forever and, and getting able to use his feet to get a first down. Now, this is going to sound crazy because we just talked, you know, and, and equated Aaron Rodgers to Peyton Manning, which I don't think is crazy. But the idea that you would want to stop someone's running game to put the ball in either of their hands is lunacy. However, when Aaron Jones is averaging 6.8 yards per rush, and this is an That's offense crazy. whose foundation, like all of the Shanahan offenses across the league, is that running game, is that outside zone running game, you lose control of the game and play it on Green Bay's terms if you let Aaron Jones go first and 10 to second and five to third and one, because yep. then they can do anything on third and one. And, oh, they're going to be happy trying it on fourth down. So when you look at that outside zone scheme, which, again, is run across the league, but is, is, is more important and pivotal to how this game is going to go, your keys when you face – Actually, the Colts, another good example, outside zone. That's Great strict. example. Okay, so when you're playing defense up front for the Patriots and you need to control Aaron Jones and face this outside zone, what, what are the keys there to kind of bottling him up and keeping it to second and eight instead of second and four or second and five? Yeah, I'm a big, huge, huge, huge fan of Aaron Jones. Um, I mean, that's serious production. 6.8 yards uh, per carry in the in the NFL. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's insane. It's only three games, but still, nonetheless. Um, so, okay, so let's let's go back. Let's go back to the to the uh, back to the days when I was playing and against the Colts because you're right, it's the exact same thing. They ran the the Colts ran the outside zone, and you know what? The Denver Broncos ran the outside zone, and what they what the the Colts and the Broncos were trying to do with the outside zone run is just what you said. If you can get to second and six on first down, you get. I mean, uh, excuse me, you, on first down you get four yards. So now it's second and six. All of a sudden. That's now you're uh, on schedule. If you're the offense, that's what you want. You want to be second and six or better on second down. Um, and, and these zone run type teams do that. And then what happens is defenses go, oh, we got to stop the run. They bring a safety down. All of a sudden, now it's cover three and the corners start softening up. And now that's when you go to work on the outside. So you have to stop the running game. If you're like, I always just say this about paid man. And I said this about John Elway. And I'll say this about Aaron Rodgers. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you something you already know. Football is back. And Bet Online is still your number one source for all your NFL and college football betting needs this season. Find all the latest odds, news, and game matchups right up to the minute at betonline.ag. It is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. It is always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on your favorite sports, even beyond football. Look to the MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Yes, they are still playing golf out there. So head online to betonline.ag. Join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's 50%, 5-0. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Again, that's betonline.ag where the game starts. You have to stop their runners. So if it was Edron James for the Colts, if it was Terrell Davis for the Denver Broncos, if it's Aaron Jones for the Green Bay Packers, you have to stop them 
uh, being effective running the football if you want to play the pass coverages that you want to play against these elite quarterbacks. So you better stop the run. And so we always said, if I can stop Edron James, we can stop Peyton Manning. But based on just the coverages that we can use, if we have to commit another guy in the box to stop an Edron James or to stop a Terrell Davis, that's when those elite quarterbacks can go to work. So the Patriots have to do a very good job of stopping the run. And how do you stop the outside zone? It's very, it's, it's hard, but it's an easy thing. You, you build what we call build a wall. You have to have your front seven has to attack the line of scrimmage and it's got to be synchronized. And so that there's a wall uh, there at the line of scrimmage and there's no seams and there's no guys getting up to the second level and there's no gaps for the running back to go through. If there is a wall there, and, and here's the thing about those outside zone runs that what's very uh, that people need to understand, they might be designed to go outside initially, but the second option is always the cutback. And so if you build a wall on that line of scrimmage by attacking the line of scrimmage, then you cut off the, the backside cutback lanes. And so it, it's it, the backside linebacker, even though it's play away, might be a key part in that play because that running back is going to cut back to where that backside linebacker is. So all seven guys have to be attacking the line of scrimmage at the snap of the ball so there's no creases and there's no seams. You build that wall and give them no cutback lanes or nowhere to go. So And then, it, needless to say, you better be strong at the point of attack and, as they say, set the edge so that you can't get easy yards on the outside. So you can't have your outline, outside linebackers getting hooked, getting pinned. They have to set the edge and make the ball turn back where your, uh, your backside linebackers, everyone's feeling, and building that wall. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's funny because the outside zone is most easily recognizable. When you look at all the offensive linemen, take that same lateral step, you're moving at the snap in the same direction, and someone at home go, oh, it's outside zone. And there are some small variations. I covered this two weeks ago, and the Patriots actually ran some outside zone with a pin and pull tag or tweak to it. But defensively, you want to have the same thing. You want to go with the flow, but anchor against it. So you're setting the flow at your own tempo. And that way, like you said, you kind of create a wall because they want to pin you in. They want to create those, those creases and seams. Yeah. And that's why, you know, this is getting to be an example that's older by the day and by the week and by the season. But, you know, in this Super Bowl against the Rams, 2019 at 6-1 front, you got six guys in line of scrimmage. That wall's there pre-stamp, but that's how they shut down the Rams who ran, of course, and still run outside zone. And they mix in some duo here and there. But I think that's an important thing to point out, obviously, the the counter off of that for Green Bay is going to be the play action boot, which Aaron Rodgers runs very, very well. But that's nothing new. Again, you mentioned L.A., Shannon, and Terrell Davis. It goes back even further than them. Um, zooming out, though, we could talk about all the little nuances of, of defending an outside zone or, you know, what the schemes are. And I think you're absolutely right. It's a great point. But before I get to third and six and I'm trying out my dime package and all the man-to-man coverage, you, you have to stop the run. If the Packers run the ball, they're going to win. If the Patriots turn the ball over, though, they're not just going to hang around. They might be able to pull off an upset. So besides trying to punch the ball out a little bit more or jumping routes, like what are the coaching points you got in games? Again, not to bring up the Colts, but go, we need to turn the ball over Sunday. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 I mean, the way we did it with the Colts is we played zone. So mm -hmm. you, you, you create more turnovers if you're not – your back's not turned to the offense. So if you're playing man to man and you have, you have, uh, you know, you have your DBs, your corners, your safeties turning and running 
they can't see the quarterback and they can't anticipate the throw and break on it and make the make 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 the interception. So if you're trying to turn the ball over, playing zone is much much better. So for example, uh, against the Colts, uh, we keep using the Colts, but I think it's it's exactly uh, it's a perfect kind of uh, comparison for uh, what this offense is for the for the uh, Green Bay Packers. Those uh, those those games in which Ty Law had those interceptions. Do you know what coverage we were in most of the time? Cover two. Cover two, buddy. Cover yeah. two. And the soft spot in cover two is down the middle of the field, which I roamed, which I uh, tried to get, make sure to discourage Peyton from going down the middle of the field, or that kind of spot on the sideline, a few yards inside from the sideline, behind the corner and in front of safety. That's the spot. And yeah, so like eight, eight for the people at home, like eight to 20 yards downfield, the honey hole, as they call it, maybe even a little bit smaller, say like 10 to 15. That, that's about that's that's exactly the spot. That's the window to get it into. You can bait quarter uh, quarterbacks to throw that ball into that and 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 get interceptions. And Ty Law baited Peyton Manning a lot. So if you're gonna besides you know the physical nature of getting a, a, a turnover, which is knocking the ball out or stripping the ball out, to get ints, which is very difficult by the way against Aaron Rodgers. I think his stats at home throwing interceptions is insane. I think in the, He's has 21 touchdowns to three interceptions uh, at home in the last year, whatever year or so. And so he's, he, he doesn't make many mistakes at, at, at when he's playing at Lambeau. He just doesn't make many mistakes ever, but that's one way to do it is bait them uh, or, or, or hopefully you have corners that, uh, that when they're playing zone, their backs aren't turned to Aaron, that they can anticipate the throw and break on it. That's, that's the only thing you're not going to fool him in the coverage, but you maybe can bait him into throwing something that he's uh you know, is a questionable throw and then uh, and maybe break up and make a play. That's that's really the, the the only way to do it. Again, very rarely does Aaron get fooled, but uh, uh, we said that about Peyton, and uh, we still were able to, uh, to, to fool him a time or two. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I think when you look at Aaron Rodgers, and we'll wrap this up and we'll go to our 3-2-1 preview, three keys, two matchups, one extra point, two mailbag questions in a second. Like, his, if he has a fatal flaw, as it were, you know, it's not the – Let's just let's just call it arrogance. I mean, it wasn't. It was totally earned. He's an MVP now. He's a Hall of Famer that Peyton had. If I can fit the ball anywhere, I know what the coverage is. I'll make it happen. Aaron seems to be slightly more risk averse than some of these other great quarterbacks. And you can see this in his interception rate for his career is lowest, I think, or top five in the NFL. And the losses that they've had in the playoffs are shots that he's not taking downfield, which is harder to analyze because it's easier to point to the pick and go, this is where he missed the coverage, or that was a sack that he took because he held onto the ball too long. The things that aren't transpiring, I think, for Green Bay are the things that hurt them. And so if there's a way to discourage him from making those throws, like you're saying, cover two, you, you've rolled out a first half game plan that says, okay, they want to force everything short. And we know he won't take the shot when we show two make a late post-snaps rotation from the safety. So there's only one back there instead of two, you know, he won't bother to then make the throw deep because he doesn't want to risk an interception, understanding he's kind of carrying the offense. And I, I think those are the things that people don't understand that bill tries to suss out, right? Like he is trying to get into the head of the offensive coordinator of the quarterback and find out not only just, they want to win. Everyone wants to win. How do they want to win? And that their impulse is how can we turn that against them? In Aaron's case, I think it's more difficult, but that's a really good point about, yeah, you want to show zone to create turnovers. It also might be a way to bring out the worst in Aaron, which isn't going to be four picks, but it might be, you know, 
a yards per completion of five instead of seven or eight or nine, which is obviously more downfield, more yards, more risk, but more reward for an offense that, you know, is not lighting up the scoreboard. And that's it. it, it, it part of it sometimes you too is you, you can frustrate an elite quarterback like that, like Patrick Mahomes, if you're constantly, constantly forcing Aaron to do the check down, to do the mm-hmm. safe play, to constantly go, okay, well, that that deep to intermediate route that I keep looking for, they got it covered, so I got to keep con- continuously going down to my outlet. They get frustrated. That's what gets in their head is when you're con- completely taking away their deep threat options um, and, and 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 only giving them these uh, these short uh, options. That's uh, that can get in a quarterback's uh, uh, head too. That's uh, that's used to being able to throw the ball down uh, uh, field uh, without any problems. Yeah. All right. Let's fly through the three, two, one breakdown. Cause I'm really excited for these two mailbag questions that folks have for you. Uh, and specifically three matchups. I'll give my two, you give your one um, or no, I'm sorry. My keys, uh, three keys, two matchups, one extra point. First half lead Patriots need a lead in the first half. Like I talked about terms of engagement of this game have to be on them. You can run the ball. You can mix your coverages. You're not just trying to, you know, make a wall against Aaron Jones and then giving up shot plays down behind you. You need a first half lead. Second one, we already talked about it. No blitzing. Okay. Lamar Jackson, you should have known better than to blitz that guy. He went 11 of 11, 136 yards, three touchdowns, ran around a little bit. Don't do it again. Okay. You touch the stove in week three, pull away, walk away in week four, please. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so right. I, I, I did not understand. I know we're talking about the Green Bay Packers, but last week you just quickly, uh, why the Patriots decided to blitz on 40% of the dropbacks for Lamar Jackson when he was the number one, uh, quarterback and offense against blitzes for the first two weeks of the season. And you decide to, to blitz him, uh, the week before they, they, they killed, uh, they killed, uh, the dolphins, uh, blitzing. So when they blitz, so it, it was confusing why they did that, but nonetheless, um, okay. So what's, uh, the key, what's my uh, key? Yeah. You got one game? key left. I get two. Cause I'm a dictator on my own podcast. Even, <laughs> even to Ted Johnson, you know, take me out back and do terrible things to me, but yeah. I, as you should be. This is your show, Andrew, and it's and it's a it's a pleasure to be on your show. Um, you know what? I, again, I, I think uh, going back to what I said earlier, like I would always say when we play John Elway, when we play Peyton Manning, and when the Patriots this Sunday play uh, Aaron Rodgers, believe it or not, you can stop those running those quarterbacks if you stop their their running attack. And so um, I was we again stop Terrell Davis, stop Edron James. You can stop Elway and stop uh, um, Peyton. The same thing. You better limit, I think, this running game. I, I'll give you – I'll tell you what. If you can keep them to under uh, three and a half yards per rush um, from A.J. Dillon and, and Aaron Jones, uh, this front seven, is, which was good against the run in the first two games, not so good last week, it gives you a much better chance of having success against Aaron Rodgers and what is a deadly play-action game out of that uh, Shanahan system. So keep – the running game at three and a half yards, uh, an attempt under three and a half yards, and you give yourselves a chance to win this football game, I think. And, and I can hear in the back of my head as you say that again, which, again, I called a good point about, oh, if you stop the run in modern NFL, people who like analytics are getting more into the modern part of the game saying, that's crazy. You want to pass, you pass to win, you pass to score. However, the point is you can't give these quarterbacks a plan B. Okay, a decent running game is another avenue to go. They can still obviously light you up. Aaron Rodgers could throw and, and score 40 points if he just literally throws all game, doesn't hand it off once. That's how good he is. That's how good Peyton Manning was. That's how good John Elway was. 
but your odds of winning go up if you at least understand they have to pass. That's that's all that Ted means by that, and and he's right. Um, second uh, second one, two matchups. I'm going to go with the pass rush, which we we've touched on by saying not blitzing. But look, Matt Judon needs to get after the quarterback. Dietrich Twice has four sacks now. He's not going to get three again on Sunday, but he's playing well. Christian Barmore, though, is not living up to the expectations that we all set out for him. But also he flashed by having, you know, more pressures than virtually everyone else in the league uh, last year as a rookie, at least down the stretch of last season. So I'm looking at him against the right guard, Royce Newman, who is their worst pass protector of that front five, David Bakhtiari, left tackle, all pro outstanding. He's limited. He's always limited. Um, Elgin Jenkins, the right tackle, did not practice on Wednesday. I think they'll be fine there. Up the middle, like you talk with those stunts, I think Barmore's got to win that matchup interior right guard, Royce Newman. Hey, Andrew, you are, uh, you know your football, man. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, I, think, no, I think that's an excellent observation because if you're trying to sit there and you go, can, a, can an elite corner do a whole lot to disrupt Aaron Rodgers? No, he can take maybe uh, Aaron Rodgers' best receiver out of the game. Okay, uh, but you're not slowing down Aaron Rodgers by, uh, I mean, you're making life more difficult for him by taking his number one receiver out. But if you're constantly getting pressure up the middle with just, and you don't have to scheme, it's just because your player is better than their interior lineman. And you're talking about their guard versus Christian Baumore. Oh, you know, it just, you know, an inside pass rusher against a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who does not want pressure in his face, um, can go a long way into helping you win a football game. And so I, I think that's an excellent kind of uh, game within a game to kind of highlight, if you will, um, because that's where the biggest damage and disruption can come from against Aaron Rodgers is pressure up the middle. And if you don't have to scheme it and you just have better players at the interior, then that's the way to do it. And you're right. I am a little bit surprised. I haven't seen more Christian Barmore, maybe making splash plays. I'm a little bit surprised. I got to be honest. I thought he was kind of going to be uh, the Dietrich wise of, of this defense in the sense that he was going to be the guy that never came off the field. Um, I just thought, I thought that's kind of what he was turning toward, but right now they just have him more as a, as a pass rush specialist. Which is, uh, which is interesting. I thought he was going to be more of a three-down player this year. Uh, so far, through three games, that's not the case. Yeah. All right, your, uh, your matchup here. We've done a lot of defense, so I just thought of an offensive one for the Patriots. But where, where are you looking at in terms of just one-on-one matchups that could decide this game? Oof. Um, you know, again, I, I think um, – is Kyle Duggar playing in this game? It, he's trending that way. We're not certain just yet. Okay, well, you know, I just think I, I again, I think the I think the the passing game to the running backs um, is going to be big. Uh, I just think right now the receivers for uh, for Green Bay are, aren't maybe on the same page, or they're still trying to figure things out. Um, and so, uh, the, the all the the experience in that offense is at the running back position. Uh, I think for the most part, other than Randall Cobb, who again he's uh, eighty five years old, and so I don't know how effective he's going to be at eighty five. It's tough. Uh, to, to get out there and play when you're that old. But um, so I think it's going to come down to maybe more of, of the running backs. And so whoever is, is, uh, is game planned into covering those guys, whether it be uh, Adrian Phillips, whether it be Kyle Duggar, whether it be Mac Wilson, um, Juwan Bentley, I think that's kind of the key matchup is stopping the running backs, not only in the running game, but just I think in, in the passing game, screen game, um, in, in that short to intermediate kind of passing game. So to me, that's, that's, uh, that's going to be a key in this game. All right, real quick. Um, 
Kenny Clark, we haven't talked about. Outstanding nose tackle for the Packers. We talked about the Patriots need to run the ball. Yes, they have the worst run defense. That's a dude, though, who could blow up Cole Strange, who's had an up and down. He's had a rookie season. He's a rookie starter. That's what we would expect it, but could really create some problems, particularly on these man block plays where Cole might be pulling around or Mike Unwenu. If he gets to the spot first, not only can he hold up against double teams, but he might be able to penetrate and make some problems in the backfield. So he's one of the best nose tackles in the game, even for the worst run defense. If he shows up, he can make up for, you know, the guy behind him being a step slow to the play or having bad eyes or what have you. All right. One extra point about this game. This is a thought or a note about what's going to happen on Sunday. It might not be on the field. It could be just around the field or any sort of fun memory you've had related to the Packers. And what's on your mind about this game? That doesn't nothing that we've talked about so far. Oh, what's on my mind? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I, I've only been to Lambeau one time and it was a preseason game. Um, and so I never really got the full Lambeau uh, experience, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I just think what's going on. I, I just think it's a fascinating kind of uh, dynamic now that Mac Jones isn't starting. Um, he's going to be playing in this game. And, uh, you know, what is this offense going to look like? I, I think I'm fascinated to see, does it change much? What does it look like? Is it, is it maybe more efficient? Does, is there, um, is, 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 uh, you know, Brian Hoyer goes out there and starts lighting it up. Then he starts, he starts to question, you know, okay, well maybe it's more on Mac. I'm, you know, right now, Andrew, when it comes to the blame pie, um, I, you know, I lean more towards the coaches being the problem than I do the players at this point. Um, just considering the, the, the coaches that they hired for the offense, um, and, and, and I, so I, I put a lot of just the scheme, scheme change and the changing and the coaches um, really for a lot of the problems that are kind of uh, right now with the Patriots. However, if Brian Hoyer goes out there and lines it up, Andrew, I'll be, uh, it, it could change my opinion on Mac, on Mac Jones. So that's a storyline that's, I just think kind of fascinating to see how, how this offense looks, how different it looks. Do they do different things? How efficient uh, do they look? Do they just look more uh, competent than they have through a training camp preseason in the first three games. That's, that's kind of intriguing to me. Um, this is literally into the weeds for me. This, this note that I have, but I, the only time I've been to Lambeau was in the summer of 2010, did a stadium tour. It was awesome. They let you go down on the field. You see the suite, you see everything. And they built it up since it's a very different place as I understand it now, 12 years ago, uh, 12 years later. But the thing that I remember taking away among others, is that the field down there is part synthetic, part real grass. And so it all feels like real grass, but then at the time was something that they had imported. And I should have looked up the country before we started recording, but it was somewhere in Scandinavia where like the places either in Sweden or Norway or wherever they might've been need to have real grass for some sort of purpose. And they found a way to grow it and have them intertwine their roots to keep the real grass from getting uprooted as you're playing, of course, now in Green Bay, real football. Why everyone else in the league doesn't do this, I will never understand. Bring real grass back to New England. I'm sick of everyone playing on carpets. I've never sounded older on this podcast, but I don't think you will find a player out there who would rather play on the synthetic stuff versus you could do some hybrid in Green Bay where they they probably need it more than anyone. Maybe Pittsburgh's in that conversation or Buffalo, the Buffalo. Yeah, the cold weather places, right? Right, right. right. The cold weather places do this because football as we knew it, as we, we know it best now, and as it should be moving forward, should be on the real slash fake Scandinavian grass, as it were. <laughs> I love that. I didn't know that there was synthetic. I, I didn't know you could do that. Do I didn't know you could do a hybrid, I guess, uh, field, which is which is fascinating. Andrew, like playing on 
grass, like really good grass field. Like, I don't know, like the grass they use in Arizona or Arizona. It's like (laughs) Southern California, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I played in Jacksonville when it, it, Tennessee has grass. Yeah. 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 But the grass is like, almost like you're on a fairway green, right? Oh, okay. Okay. It's like a different, I don't know how to describe it. It's just that it's, I don't know what type of grass it is, but those kind of fields are like the best that I've ever played on. The hard part about probably I think having grass fields in stadiums, they're open in cold weather locales is just the freezing factor. Um, and I think a lot of uh, fields have heaters underneath, right. Um, yeah. To kind of, so that they don't, so that they don't get uh, real icy and, and frozen hard. tundra. Right. Right. It's just that it, it, so I, I, a lot of these fields and, and they, uh, that, uh, that are up in the North have heaters underneath. So, that's that's fascinating. I didn't know that they they had a hybrid uh, feels like that. That's a great uh, service to play on. Look, I, I might have just wasted all of our times, including the people now listening, talking about this because that was a 12 year old tidbit. They might have totally pivoted and it's entirely fake. I will find out as soon as we hang up because <laughs> I don't want to waste anybody's time. But, yeah, I, it hit me as like they should do this in England because they changed they the turf midway through the 06 season. Uh, after just playing in a, a mud bowl against the Jets and losing, and then yep. trotted out the turf for a, a game against the Bears. Rex Grossman that year, the Bears won the Super Bowl, and things never changed uh, or haven't changed since. But they they should take a hard look at that grass and take some back home. All right, mailbag. We have um, linebacker specific question. I you know highlighted poor play from Juwan Bentley and Mac Wilson against Baltimore. So this is from quote Truck via Twitter. Where Bentley and Wilson struggle specific to Baltimore or part of a bigger problem? Do you think a healthy Duggar helps in run support? The second one, I think we can just answer yes. But Bentley and Wilson, as far as I saw, and I didn't play the position, a lot of bad eyes in terms of keys, following ball carriers who didn't have the ball, and it created space for Lamar to duck up through at the second level. Are you worried about them in a general sense, or do you think that was just you face an offense like that, and like Devin McCourty said, it's like a triple option that you see in college? Yeah, it's and I, I probably will uh, – defer to uh or agree with i should say with devin mccourty it's kind of a one-off um you know it's you know i was asked in the breakdown show on monday you know what you know the offenses did you play offenses like the 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 baltimore ran last week what was your kind of experience with that i said yeah yeah, i played against offenses like that in the big eight uh when i was at colorado uh nebraska and oklahoma and they'd run the triple option it's just it's just elements of that triple option the Baltimore Ravens were running last week. It's just, you'd never see it. And there's keys and reads that the inside linebacker and the outside linebacker to the play side have to be consistent in play in and play out to have good success. And if you're not used to playing those types of offenses, Andrew, and you just that week, all of a sudden you're playing a team that does it. It can be uh, tricky and it can be very difficult. So Although the, the the guy you know the the your your the guy that mailed in with the question is uh, it's a valid uh, point because it clearly the quarterback was killing him in those quarterback design runs. I give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, considering that it's the elements of that offense you never see unless you're going back to the Big Eight days, which they don't even have the Big Eight anymore. Now it's you know the Big Twelve. So that's yeah, that was the first hint that that was a long time ago because the that's Big right. Eight has not been a thing for like twenty five. 25 years. But yeah, yeah I, I tend to agree with you. I, I would be more concerned with Wilson 
than Juwan Bentley is Bentley just being a more established run first player like that. That's his element. If he's failing at stopping the run, he just doesn't have a reason to be on the field. The good news is he is yeah. an outlier in how good he is at stopping the run specific to his instincts. Whereas Mac Wilson right. is there, you know, to, to play more in those dime packages and use his speed and range. Like we saw with the tip ball at Pittsburgh to create the interception and as a younger player with less experience. So uh, we'll just have to see you hit on real this. Quick, real quick, real quick, real yeah, go ahead. What I do like about Mac Wilson and, and, and Juwan Bentley real quick is that they like my expression is, well, guys that, that are, they're try like he's a, those guys are try hard guys and they are tacked on line of scrimmage and they play downhill. They don't shy away from contact. However, they're undersized and they can get swallowed up in there. So sometimes they do the best with what God gave them. All right. They might not be the most physical guys, but they're going to ram their head in there and they're going to attack. The outcome isn't always what you want. But I feel like their effort, their attitude, and the style in which they play is is a uh, is is a good one. Yeah, and it it might sound crazy because Bentley's two fifty five, but there were plays in that where he goes and head on to the center because Baltimore, for the most part, except for their center, has bigger offensive linemen who are running the scheme that their offensive coordinator Greg Roman did back when Colin Kaepernick was breaking out with the Forty ers Like he's been at this a while with the quarterback counters and the bash runs and all this different stuff. But uh, if you want to find out more about that, I wrote about it in the Herald. Uh, a few days back, so you can go back there. But yeah, I think largely not too concerned. Um, second one, this comes from Jake on Twitter, multi-parter. Uh, you hit on this earlier indirectly. How important is it for the Patriots to find a team identity sooner than later? And what do you think it might look like? Uh, also, he wants it. You did you watch Seinfeld back in the day? Do you watch Seinfeld now? Yeah, I'm, I'm the one guy that didn't. Not, <laughs> okay. I mean, I did every uh, Spare Square. I remember that episode. Everybody, I, I can't remember all the different. I have one or two that jump out, but not the biggest fan. I liked it, but I wasn't like hardcore like most people. Okay. Uh, I'll give him my answer now. And it's not my favorite, but I, I like to think of shows where what is the quintessential episode? Like if I have to introduce you to the office, am I going to pick, you know, the mouse outrageous one or the one I think is funniest or the one that just has Michael doing something stupid, Jim and Pam being the reasonable people, you know, Kevin having a couple of funny lines, Creed having a one and done and like, that's it. And so for <laughs> Seinfeld, I think the way they tie things always in back together at the end with the diverging storylines and Kramer being Kramer was the slicer season nine. This was a show that unlike most did not, you know, go into a tailspin at the end of their run, still going strong Kramer with the white jacket, not because he was uh, slicing meat at the beginning, but then fakes his way into being a doctor, Dr. Van Nostrand outstanding episode of the slicer. Look it up. Uh, uh, Patriots team identity though. I, I would think you want one sooner rather than later. Cause you know what you're, you're counting on and what might it look like? That's a great question. <laughs> when when ugly? I don't yeah. know. When ugly? Um, I don't know. Tough physical. I, it's it's it's. Uh, you know what? The defense. I, I think their identity is going to be. I think they're going to be. I don't think they're going to hurt themselves. I think they're going to be smart. Um, I think they're going to be highly competitive unit. Um, are they going to be? Are they overly talented? No, but I think they will. Uh, a lot of times, keep you into games, and that's the defense. On the offense, I have no idea. Right now, it's. They're, they're, they're the two kind of things that are kind of jumping out at you is, okay, they're a physical run team, and they like to chuck it deep. I mean, the Patriots are fourth in the NFL in air yards. I mean, they were second in the NFL in air yards last week um, uh, versus the Baltimore Ravens. And I don't know if that was just because the Baltimore Ravens have a crappy secondary, but when you consider the first three games, how they've looked on offense, this is a chuck it downfield, open it up kind of uh, offense. I know it hasn't result had good results, but that's really the only identity I can I can see so far in the offense. But 
those aren't maybe, you know, strong qualities to kind of lean on other than the, in the power running game. And so really that's, that's where they're at. The offense identity, I think is still trying to form where I think the defensive one is, I thought they'd be a little bit more of a blitzing attacking defense than they are. They, they aren't as much, but I think they're smart. I think they play hard. They're a good tackling team. They're not going to hurt themselves on defense. Right now, the offensive identity is still a little bit up in the air. Yeah, I think physicality is something that they want to be um, every year, both sides of the ball. They want to be a physical team because if you're not, that's, that's where you start to lose, not only just you know games, but in critical areas, in your locker room. Like If you can't count on the guy next to you to bring it as you intend to, how do you feel about the rest of your team? It's just not It's not good for um, – anyone football at any level, but I think, you know, and I asked someone about this recently with the team and they kind of pointed that we want to be a physical team. We want to adapt every single week. Like we'll be, we play well under pressure, which is kind of like the tenets of their program, but how that looks schematically and what it evolves to, I think it's going to be a shotgun offense that runs a lot more with three receivers than we do two tight ends. Um, I think defensively, they're still leaning into more man coverage, but the receivers are going to face, you know, starting in a couple of weeks, are going to make that a lot more difficult, I think, uh, or maybe even after October, let's say, because the next stretch is we've all covered the Lions, the Browns, and Bears, oh my. Um, not, not terribly, you know, intimidating, but I think they want to still be adaptable. It's just a matter of finding your limits with that talent. Like Reminder Stevenson, I think I probably agree, best offensive player right now, um, but he's entirely dependent on an offensive line that we've already found out wanted its identity to be an outside zone and has pivoted to more man because that's what they were best at, but they didn't know that until they started playing and practicing. And that's what they just got to do this next month. So I would not expect an identity or anyone to have a good answer for this question, probably until around Halloween. So that's Isn't it. Isn't it amazing though that you just said like the offensive identity should be just going shotgun and do power. It's like, that's the opposite of what they've been working on the entire off season and summer. Like they've been working at under center outside zone all summer. And now what you're saying they're best at is doing something that they haven't even really been emphasizing all summer long. And I think that's the big problem is that they are just behind everyone else because of, uh, because of that. Yeah. I think they're, they're trying to do everything. And that's what's kind of led to some poor offense. You're not great at any one particular area or thing, but like you look at the last two games, the, the split between shotgun and under center is around 90, 10. And then when they're under center, you know, those 10%, whatever it might be snaps are 80 to 85% run. So yeah, you might be able to really hurt the defense on that one out of five snaps when you're running play action, you boot out or you throw an interception like Mac Jones did against Ravens. So that's, the, those are the things that I think there'll be a little bit more balanced, but it's, it's stuff we talked about in the summer is an offense successful. If the schematic changes benefit everyone, except for the quarterback, or do you want to be in a place where the quarterback is more comfortable in the gun surveying the defense, running some RPOs, all these different things, which they, they've just had a tug and pull with. And the thing is, the better Mac plays, the more pull he'll have. And I think that'll go in his direction. But if, you know, the running backs, and the offensive linemen benefit from that run game change, then they'll probably stick with that. And I think that's where that this is the best explanation for people wondering why the hell little Jordan Humphrey is seeing so many snaps for a guy who got cut a month ago is that they want to try to, straddle that line between being the physical team that can run the ball and he's your pseudo tight end. But in, in theory, that's a nice idea. In reality, he had zero catches on one target and teams are going to start to ignore him in the passing game. And that's really going to be a net negative because that's where you need to get your chunk plays. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We live, we live day by day here, Ted on the pod. Yeah, but day by day, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that this week, but day by day, bud. 
All right. Uh, last sneak mailbag question for you. This one comes from Andrew at Pat's Interference. He wants to know the last movie that Ted, because I asked you this last time, uh, the last movie Ted cried at. It was Top Gun Maverick when that came out. Totally understandable. Great flick. Have we cried at a movie since? Ooh, I like, you know, oh man, what's uh, huh. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I watch, I cry a lot of movies. Um, you know, I, huh. I'm not going to lie, you know, uh, what was the, the movie uh, filmed here in Boston uh, with uh, Matthew, uh, it was just on the other uh, other day with uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. The Departed? Uh, he was, uh, he was the brilliant student. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking of? Yeah. Um, I cry all the time. I'm always crying in, in movies. I get all, I get, I'm a, I'm a softy. I can't help it. Um, I'm a now I'm blanking. Story. Everyone listening to this is, is screaming the name out of Robin Williams. Williams. Uh, uh, he was uh, the MIT. Yeah. I can't remember. Goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. Thank God. Goodwill if hunting. I had to Google that, uh, I need to suspend myself in the podcast for one month. People are already embarrassed for us. Yeah. Goodwill hunting. I, that's, that's, that was that last week, last month when uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed, like how often I cry in a movie. <laughs> like it is, it is bad. It, it is so bad. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a, just a good storyline and, 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 and good character development. I get, I get into that. I get sucked into that. And so I'm, I'm a sucker for uh, those, those kinds of movies, man. Well, we love that you do it because then I get to ask you every time you come back on. All right, what was the latest? And we'll keep running tally. We didn't. Uh, I joked about Airbud last time. I I don't think you nodded, so I'm not going to keep that one down. But Goodwill Hunting, Avatar, <laughs> Top Gun, Maverick. I love it, man. Might as well have that emotion come out if you if you got it and you're at home. Oh yeah, no, it's it's in there, man. And it, it yeah. always feel better after I get a good cry. I'm always I feel lighter, yeah, happier. So you should give it a try, bud. I might, I might, man. I, well, I was going to make a joke of the Patriots offense, but it's getting better and it's only week four and we can't, we can't do that. But yeah, maybe later on in the season, depending on how things go, there might be tears on this very podcast. In the meantime, Ted Jonathan, thanks again so much for coming on. Obviously we'll have you back. We got the same old questions for you. Uh, and it should be a fun season. We've had plenty of surprises already. All right, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me on, bud. You know, uh, anytime I'm happy to join you.